Yo, this is Pastor Tito here welcoming you to another episode of my revolutionary podcast where I'm here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And we are focusing on a couple things that keeps us from following through. And the number one, all right, I'm going to be real with you, the number one reason, the number one reason why so many people struggle with following through and following Jesus, guess what? It's you. You are your own worst enemy. And Paul talks about this. And for a lot of Christians, and let's be real, I know me too, sometimes it's weird to want to follow God when you know that, man, it's like you're not perfect. And, And it's confusing for Christians. Why do we still struggle with sin even when we are saved? Well, there's a reason for that. And Paul actually opens up personally and helps us to understand with our verse that we're going to look at today. So let's see what God has to say. Now, listen, I don't know how you woke up this morning, but that truth right there is a, is one that should have turned any frown upside down today, knowing who Jesus is and that not who he is, but why that matters today. All right, because of what he is. This is who he is, but this is a hard truth for us to transition into. It's when we look at him and we look at Jesus for who he is. Man, that's overwhelming and that's amazing. But like you just saw on that slide a minute ago, all right, when you look at us, when you compare ourselves to him, it's a little different. It doesn't look the same. And we're, we're looking at that. What do we do with that? And so with that, I would like to open up our study is we're going to open up God's word. I'm going to encourage you guys, if you have notes or a means to take notes on your phone, do it. Find a way online. We have a, if you go to tabernacleofgod.church, swipe down, two to the left, you're going to see sermon notes for today, all the Bible verses, different points, so you can do that as well if you like your phone. I don't know about you, who's, a, who's an old-fashioned paper and pen note taker? That's uh, it right there, all right? I like that. That's me right there. So with that, I need you all to take notes about what I'm about to say. Don't hold it against me because you know I'm talking the truth. Ready? I hate people sometimes. (laughs) Okay, don't write that down. I'm like, pastor says he hates people. He says he hates people. Okay, listen. But I'm going to be real though. I hate people sometimes. Am I the only one though who's ever thought that, said that, felt that, posted that? Out yourself right now. Who's ever felt that, heard that, said that online? Out yourself real quick, right? Listen, why do we say that phrase? Why do we say this phrase? Man, I just hate people because people aren't easy, right? And there's things that happen and do. And this is why I want to address this in this sermon today on messy spirituality because one of the things that wrecks our pursuit of God sometimes is how we respond to people right? What they do. And that makes it hard. It's like, listen, I don't want to pray for you, bro. I want to punch you, right? That's what I want to do right now. And it's hard, right? So what do we do with that? Now, let me, I want you to punch him and then pray for him, right? I guess I could do that. Listen, I want you to just stop for a minute and reflect. When you, or if you've ever said that phrase, I hate people, can you just pause for a minute and answer it in yourself? What is it about that that you hate? What is it? Is it when people are being hypocritical, when people are being difficult, people are being hard-headed, stubborn? Like what causes you, what is the specific thing that you hate about people? I want you to think about that. Everybody got it? 
I know y'all have to have at least one thing. What's one reason why you hate people? All right, now I'm going to flip this. Any of those things that you can consider that you say, I hate people for this reason, can you see that even in you? Can anybody else claim the same thing and call you the same name and have the same reason? Right? And the truth is, yeah. The truth is, yes. Like, this is, uh, this is why I titled the sermon series, the, the title of the sermon today, excuse me, is Ratchet But Yet Righteous, okay? Ratchet is just a phrase that just means, yo, you messed up, you, you know, miserable, it's a lot, all right? But at the same time as Christians, this, this bothers some Christians. And this keeps them from pursuing Christ more because it's like the harder they try and the more that they go in, the more that they know God, the more they still see certain struggles and then they're confused. I'm like, whoa, hold on. I thought Jesus saved me from my sins. Why am I still struggling with the sin? Why do I still want to do this? What happened? And there's a lot of times there's certain Christians who are so wrapped up in the struggle and they're so shocked that the struggle doesn't go away. Then the enemy takes that and puts shame on you. This is why we talked about this last week. And you say, well, I, and then you, you go to this opposite, oh, I'm just no good. And, and you don't have this motivation to pursue Jesus because you believe that, you know, he is worthy of more than you. And that's hard. And so we're going to address that today because, listen, the reality is, including me, guys, including me, something isn't right with us still. Even if we're saved, something isn't right with us. But that should not overshadow the fact that something has gone right for us. And that's what we're going to look at today. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 7. So if you have the notes, you already got it right there. We're going to put it on the screen for those of you that don't have it. And so Romans 7, if you have your books, have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. And so this is exactly what Paul is talking about. The Apostle Paul is helping Christians, and, and he spent, he dedicated his life, his second half, because he didn't want to be a Christian. He thought he was killing Christians, arresting them. God opens up his eyes, and he is, has such a radical transformation. He goes from shutting churches down to setting them up all throughout the known, uh, the known world. And he is one of the most influential figures in human history. All right, Paul is an incredible dude. And Paul dedicated his life helping others to understand who Jesus is, helping them to not just find Christ, but how to follow through. And all of the letters that Paul writes to different churches, that's what he's trying to do. And this specific one, he writes to the church in Rome because the Romans are struggling. He hasn't met them yet. And Paul is about to go visit them. And this is kind of what he does. He kind of does a preemptive strike. He likes to send letters sometimes to churches before he goes to see them. And he says, bro, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to going over there. Let me address some things that I hear that you guys are struggling with, <clears throat> just kind of, you know, prepping the groundwork. And one of the things is they, this church was struggling because they were in Rome. Again, Rome is nothing like, you know, their struggles are ours. Living in a anti-God culture, and I mean, it was a pagan culture. I mean, there was some crazy things, hey, just like ours today. And they were struggling. Well, listen, it's hard for us to want to follow God with all the outside. But Paul, why is it, though, that even though we're saved, it's not just a problem outside, but there's a problem inside. And Paul becomes very transparent. And Paul opens up. And he goes and spends 
the Romans 1 through 6, he's talking about, listen, before Jesus, we were sinners. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. None of us are born perfect. But yet, Jesus died on the cross while we were yet sinners. And it needed to happen because the wages of sin were death. And Jesus made it possible for us to be able to have life. And so Paul uses a lot of past tense statements describing himself before. But then when we hit Romans 7, specifically verse 14, he begins to use present tense statements. And this is this little grammatical lesson, guys, matters. Because this shows us that if Paul was struggling with this as a mature believer in Jesus, that means we're not alone. That means we're not crazy. So I love his honesty and his transparency there to help us to understand this is part of it. But not just part of it, then what do we do with it? And so let's look at verse 14 through 20 as Paul is trying to help this church understand. Listen, guys, yeah, I know you're saved, but you got to understand something still isn't right with us. And let's look at this. Verse 14, for we know, we know that the law is spiritual. When he says law, he's not just, he talks about the law of God. And then he talks about this moral law that we all have. And just this law, this is the way the world works. So he uses it in many different ways. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Sold as a slave to sin. All right. For I do not understand. I know I'm not the only one. We all can, all can relate with Paul here. Verse 15. I do not understand what I am doing. Because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know nothing good lives in me that is the flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, I'm no longer the one who does it. But it is the sin that lives in me. Can you catch his frustration, y'all? Can you feel his frustration? Right? This is exactly us, right? There's, there's things that I want to do this, but I, I, I don't follow through all the time, right? I want to do this, but I, then I don't. And the things I don't want to do, I'm, I'm doing. And again, this is Paul, guys. This is... Church planner, apostle, follower of Jesus, writer of New Testament letters. Paul is saying, sometimes I don't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? If he could rephrase this, it's a phrase I know, I know, fellas, I think we're, I think we're on record more of saying the following more than maybe the ladies. Have you ever done something and then after the fact, you're like, Yo, what was I thinking? Right? You ever done one of those? Like you just did something. It was like, what was I thinking? Or what's wrong with me? Has anyone ever asked that question about yourself? And you're just like, what is wrong with me? What, how did I say that? Why did I do that? What is wrong with me? I'm telling you, that's the fellas, right? You know, we tend to shoot first, aim later, right? That, that one. What's wrong with me? I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. And some of us know that the very thing that we know it's not good and we know we shouldn't do it. We do it anyways. And at the fact that we're like, what the heck? What? Why did I do that? Right? This is his frustration. And this is frustration with the law of God when, when he came to realize there's this moral law inside. <clears throat> but when he came to know God's laws, 
He said it was weird. I got to know God's words and his laws, not just the Ten Commandments and all this other stuff. And it's showing me this is God's standard. This is what he wants. And I'm like, yo, I can't do that. This is, he noticed something very weird inside of him. When he sees God's laws, he's like, bro, I kind of feel weird. I can't do that. And then it, it was even more awkward. He says, when I saw certain things that God tells me, don't do this, there's a part of me that, look, I didn't want to do it before. Now, I want to do it for some reason. I know I'm not the only one, right? When somebody just tells you, don't do this, you're like, listen, I didn't want to, but now I have to because you told me not to do it, right? Listen, you and I are, you and I, we all grow up and we all mature, but I really believe that this is us still. Can we put that little video? I don't care how old you are. This is you. And a lot of times this is God. Wait, no. Turn no. the volume up, please. Hey, uh-uh, don't do it. No, don't do it. No. Don't do it. Don't do it. No. 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 Don't even think of no. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Don't even think about no. Uh-uh. No. 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 So, yeah, anybody feel better? Like, yo, you're not crazy, right? You know how, how many times have you ever felt that's God inside of you, right? For any believers, like, you want to, I was like, yo, I don't want to forgive that person. It's like, don't do it. Don't do it. Ooh, I want to send this tweet. I want to send this post on. Don't do it. No, no, right? The Holy Spirit is telling you, nah, don't go that way. Don't go that far, right? That is a normal thing, guys. That is a normal thing. But have you ever asked yourself, why? That's very weird. Like, there is a part of us, and this is what Paul is saying, guys, that Paul, you can feel his frustration. Why is he so discouraged, though? Because there is a new desire in him. When he believed in Jesus and he received Christ as Lord and Savior, something happened in the inside of him. There is a spirit that lives inside. It's God. And he has awoken and awakened him. And so there is a part of Paul that's like, I want to do what is good. I want to follow God. I want to do everything and, and be perfect at it because I love him. But there is a part of me that wants to do the opposite. Like, literally, there's a part of me that has fun doing the opposite. Ah, uh, no, I'm not the only one, right? That's why it's hard, right? Because the part of you, that flesh, let me see, that flesh that he said, that's the part of you that was born in sin, okay? This is the you that was the real you. It's the flesh. Before Jesus, that was the only one who ruled the show, was your flesh, but now you got a new resident. It's called the spirit of the living God that is calling you in a new direction. But you've got this old way of thinking, old way of living, old way of, you know, whatever. And let me tell you, the flesh loves to do the opposite of God. It has a desire for everything that is anti-God. Do you know why the flesh wants to have fun? Because it is not going to heaven with you. Listen to that. That part of you called the flesh is not going to spend eternity with in heaven. It is not. It is going to be condemned to hell. And for those that are in the flesh, that's where you go along with it. And the flesh wants to have all this fun on earth because it's not going to have fun in hell. And it knows it. You see me? It's not going with you guys. It's not going with you. And so this is the part of us that's inside. And Paul is discouraged because he has this new desire. I want to live a different way, but man, it's, there's a part of me that just really refuses. It doesn't want to. And do you hear what he said? 
He says, I want to do what is right, but I have no ability to do it. That was a key right there. I have no ability to do what is right on my own. I can't. I try, and it doesn't work, all right? And, uh, and I have to put this out there because it was one phrase that looks very weird. When he says, when I do the opposite of what God wants me to do, it's not me, it's the flesh in me. Listen, Paul is not saying, he's not pulling out that card, listen, the devil made me do it, don't blame me, okay? That's not Paul. That's, he's not saying, listen, when I do what's wrong, that's not me, bro, that's him, okay? No, he's not advocating like the lack of personal responsibility. The flesh is him, it's a part of him. But what he's saying is, is that he understands that when, my, when I sin, it is not my spirit that is sinning. It is this thing that's in the flesh. It's, this is what it is. He understands the difference. But what he's trying to show us, guys, is the fact that, yo, the power and the pull of sin, yo, it pulls. It pulls. The power that is inside of me, the, the hunger is so ravenous. It's, it got some pull to it. There is something isn't right with me. Something isn't right with us. And look at verse 21. And we're going to keep going. Verse 21 and 25. He keeps going. Look what he says in 21. He says, so I'm really observing this thing that's inside. I got this new desire, but this old one still is there. And so in verse 21, he says, so I discovered this law. Now, the law is kind of like the law of gravity. You know, it's just a way things works. Got it? You understand? When he says, I discovered this law, this is the reality of what it is. When I want to do what is good, what does he say? Evil is present with me. My, when I want to do what is right, I also do want to do what is wrong at the very same time. For in my inner self, look, I delight in God's laws. I want, I have fun worshiping God. I have fun being obedient. I have fun giving offerings. I enjoy living for God and being obedient. But what does he says? I, I delight in the law of God, but I see a different law that's in my body. Waging, look at these words, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin and death in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? I want you guys to look up here really quick. Look at the words he says. You, there's a war inside. This isn't, you know, just like the, the cartoons, right? I used to grow up on them cartoons, and you would see, you know, the angel on one side and the little red, you know, demon on the other, the devil on the other, and they're like telling you what to do and arguing back and forth. It's like a conversation, right? It's like this weird conversation. No, there is a tug of war going on inside. And I want you to understand, listen, and this is a war that only believers deal with. Because if you're not saved, you don't want to do what God wants you to do. An unsafe person does not delight in following God. He can care less. He's having his own fun. What he's saying here, and I want you guys to understand, a war begins when you are born again. A war begins inside of you when you're born again. Because now you had one occupying force, and now there's a second. And it has completely different desires, wants, and wishes. You have the God, the new self in you, and you have your old self. And he says, sometimes I find myself, it's waging war in me and it takes me away like a prisoner. All right. I know I've had a few of these where, you know, I, you know, when I was battling, should I, should I not, should I, you know, yeah. And I start leaning towards the wrong side. And before I know it, it's like a movie, right? And my flesh kind of, you know, puts the bag over my head, throws me inside of a moving van, slams the door shut and takes off. And then before I know it, I'm like, uh Oh, right. That that's what he's saying there. That's, that's what this is. There is something amazing going on. And I love Spurgeon's quote. He says, how, 
How precious is the human soul if both the devil and God are fighting after it and fighting over it? See, there's a war inside for every single person. And, and the war is on the inside, and it's with you. In essence, Paul is recognizing, guys, you are your own worst enemy. So am I. We are our own worst enemy. You can't, I, I, bro, the devil must laugh when he says, oh, the devil made me do it, the devil made me do it. Say, like, bro, that was all you, dude. That was all, don't, don't, don't give me that. That was all you. We have an enemy on the outside, but so do we on the inside. And here you can see his frustration boiling over, right? His frustration boils over when he says, what a wretched person. Did you hear that present tense statement? I am. I am. What a wretched person, miserable person. Now we sang a song a minute ago, this is amazing grace. And, and the original song, amazing grace, have you ever heard that word wretched before? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved up. A wretch like me. Why did the lyricist use the word wretch? Because that was probably the nicest word that, that he can describe for himself. Because, listen, the author, that person, he came to Christ and he, Jesus opened up his eyes a couple hundred years ago. And he was involved in the slave trade, the English slave trade. Primarily, I believe, sending African slaves all around the world. And, and if you've ever heard stories of the slave trade, you know it's a, it's a disgusting thing. How people, and, dis, and slaves, you know, of every color, even now today, slaves are treated like property, like nothing. And when he realized what he was a part of, and he saw the love of God, and when he saw himself, he says, what ama he used the word amazing grace that God would still love a wretched person and forgive a wretched person like himself. A miserable, low life, nothing. That's why he used wretched and why he says amazing compared to God. And so Paul is saying, what a wretched person I am that I have to deal with this. Because it's like quicksand. He says, the more I fight against my flesh, it's like quicksand. The more I fight, the faster I sink and give into it. Right? And, and there's no power of positive thinking that can fix it because I have no ability. There's no effort that I can do. Who can separate me? He says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, this is really messed up. Some of y'all, maybe you've heard me say this if you've been with me for a little bit, but Paul used a phrase, guys, that the Romans would have understood because there were certain provinces that around this time and cultures that if you were... An accuse, if you were not just accused of murder, if you were condemned, you murdered somebody, okay, you murked someone, and it was proven to be true, guilty for murdering someone, you know what the penalty was? They would attach the dead body, chain that dead body that you killed to you, and you would have to drag the person you murdered for the rest of your life. That was your death sentence. If you were a murderer, you had to, and you murdered somebody, you had to be chained to the person you killed. And that was a constant reminder of what you did. Now, listen, anybody been around a decomposing dead body before? Have you ever been around a middle school boy? Okay, that's nothing compared to, okay, that's nothing compared to that. And you can imagine, you can use your imagination, guys. You're having to drag a dead body wherever you go. A dead, decomposing, rotting body. The reason why they did that is because eventually as that body would rot, it would infect 
you. And the person you killed is now killing you slowly. That's some messed up stuff. That's twisted. That's twisted. So Paul is saying, who's going to rescue me from this dead body? The flesh. That I, it's a part of me. Now, I got to highlight this one thing because some of us, even now, you, we, can, we tend to think, again, there's this battle between this bad side of me and this good side of me. Um, no. How did he describe this body? What is the condition of this body, guys? What's the condition online? He's dead, isn't it? Here's the thing, guys. When Jesus, when you surrender to Christ, call on the name of Jesus, believe in your heart that he is the son of God and call on his name. You are not only saved, but the Holy Spirit of the living God breathes life inside of you. And the spirit that is in you kills the flesh inside of you. The flesh that is in you is not this roaring beast. This is a dead body that's inside. So when you are a believer and you're saved, your flesh is conquered, but it still hangs out in your closet. It's still there. It's still there. And just like, guys, if you can imagine, all right, if you've ever had, again, like, you've ever had some stinky shoes sitting out somewhere and it was in your closet and eventually you smell it in the, or you've ever had, a, you know, a trash that was in the, you know, something was like really bad at the bottom of the trash can. I'm like, what does that smell? Like, my, my wife has a super sniffer. She can smell the trash can from the garage. Like, it's ridiculous. And so sometimes like, what, what is that? Whatever was in the garage or whatever's in the, the trash can has now gotten into the garage or vice versa. Like if I forgot to take out the trash or something like that, it now, it seeps into the house from the garage. Same thing. The flesh inside is dead. Jesus handled that. He shut down that factory, but yet you still got to deal with the remnants. It is still there. And there's a lot of us, the reason why so many of us as believers, we still struggle in our faith is we keep on cuddling up to that dead body in the closet and it affects us. It, it, the, it's old ways, it's old thinking. The more we play games with the dead body, the more close in the proximity we are, and the more we cuddle up in the closet with our flesh, it's going to impact you in the same way that it would if you were trying to cuddle up and snuggle with a dead corpse. You're gonna get sick, you feel me? You, feel, you, you following, you tracking with me? You're gonna get sick. And so what do you do? Obviously Paul's like saying, listen, it's, it's great. And, uh, and we know that Paul is not, uh, he's not in sin right now. Paul is not someone who is, bro, I, I got to tell you, uh, bro, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of been wilding out lately the other day. I had, a, oof, I had a weekend. No, that's not Paul. Paul, in his maturity, you would look at Paul and be like, bro, Paul, what are you doing? You, you must be, you're living out for God. Things are amazing. It's like, no, but there's still something in me. I see it. I still smell it. That old side of me that wants to. You know, still do. I know it's dead, but it's there. I want to be set free. Paul later in this next verse in chapter eight, he uses this word groaning. Like this is Paul is groaning right now. And the next chapter he says, all of creation is groaning. Every true Christian is groaning. And the Holy Spirit groans inside of us. And that is not a verse that talks about speaking in tongues. I'm just telling you right now. Okay. The Holy Spirit groaning is the same. Why does the Holy Spirit groan? The same reason why a Christian groans. And the same reason why creation groans. Because Paul is making this point. That a creation knows Jesus is coming back. And it can't wait for Christ to return and set all things right. And true Christians know this is not our 
permanent stature. This is not our permanent situation. We know that Christ will return and set things right for us. And the Holy Spirit knows that the Spirit of the living, that, that Christ will return and set all things right, conquering sin and death. And the same reason, us, like we can't wait for that day. And the Holy Spirit can't wait for that day. And it groans like a little kid waiting for Christmas, right? I got my, my youngest, JJ, he's, he's going to be nine on Wednesday. He's been doing his countdown for his birthday for like three weeks. He's like, mm, I can't wait, it's my birthday. You know, so he loves it. He's a little birthday. But I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. And that's us as Christians, isn't it? Like how many of us are like, yo, I can't wait for it to be done with this so we can just be in eternity. I want to see what it's all going to look like. Anybody feel that way? You're just done with this world. You're done. And we are all groaning. That's why Paul is groaning because he knows this is temporary. And he's groaning. He says, but man, I got to deal with this in the present though. How do I deal with my flesh? Who can rescue me from this? And then look what he says in verse 25. He doesn't stop at 24. Look at 25 when he says, thanks be to God. When he says, what a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from the body of death? Well, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, with an exclamation point. So then with my mind, I am going to, I myself, I'm serving the law of God, but my flesh, the law of sin. And so he burst into praise saying, I have an answer. Yeah, I got to deal with this guy. I got to deal with the flesh, but I am not left without hope. Thank Jesus that not only one day is he going to clean out this closet and I don't got to deal with the smell and the infection and all this stuff. But I have in him the ability to not be influenced as much right now in the present. Yeah, the power of sin is great. The pull of the flesh is big. But there is a greater power present in me, and that's God. That's what he's saying. That's what he's getting to this point. And this is why from here on out, he pivots. Because listen, yeah, something isn't right with us. Something isn't right with us, but something has gone right for us. Look at the next verse, next chapter. Continues the phrase, guys. Look, frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. Thank God. What did he do? Well, look at verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1. So therefore, based on the thing he was saying before, there is, what does it say? No condemnation for those who are who? In Christ. You know what condemnation means? The word he's using is a death sentence. When you were condemned to say, all right, guilty, all right, guilty, death, you're going to die, execution style. He's saying there is no condemnation in Christ, meaning there is no longer a death sentence on believers. There is none. Yeah, we might still struggle with the sin. And even if we don't do what we don't want to do, there's a part of me that still wants to do it. And that, I hate that. I hate that I even want to do certain things. But what's so amazing is the fact that there is no condemnation, meaning that God is not going to judge us as believers for those things. Do you know why? Because for a Christian, and this ought to, if you're going to remember one thing, you got to hold on to this one. If you're a Christian, your judgment day is not before you, it's behind you. Nope, you didn't get it. All right. Your judgment day is not before you. If for all who reject Christ as Lord and Savior, your judgment day, I'm sorry, it is still in front of you. Jesus is going to judge sin and death in this world, all things. And those in the flesh, your judgment day is ahead of you. 
But if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, your judgment day is behind you. And that day was when Jesus died on the cross and paid for the penalty of all of that struggle, all of the sin, the thing that you want to do and the things that you did and all this stuff. Your judgment day is behind you now. It is not before you, and that should change your thinking. That should change so much to know that, that God, even though you might stumble now, you may lose a battle today, but Jesus still won the war. It doesn't cancel that out. That's what that is. You got to let that settle in, and Paul is so amazed by that. And look at verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 2. He says, because there's no condemnation in Christ. Why? Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did it. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Meaning what you couldn't do, he did it for you. And God has given you the credit like if you did it. That, like that, that's what that is. And that's why there's no condemnation. None whatsoever in God. Which means by now, this is what Christians, we need to settle in because this is, I know I, I catch myself sometimes. Paul, notice he catches himself. And some of you, I know it happens when you're in the struggle and you do the very thing that you didn't want to do. And inside you know, man, God, I, I want to do what's better and I just can't do it. I'm not as consistent as I want to be. And then you feel guilty and then ashamed and then you don't. know. that's the enemy bringing worldly grief on you to keep you from God, like saying, see, no, God, you know, God's good. God is loving. You, you don't deserve, no, he doesn't deserve you. And then you don't go to him. When the godly grief should know repentance and we turn and God removes the regret. We talked about this last week. But what Paul is trying to help that church then and us today is understand that because of Jesus, we are no longer defined by our sin, even if we keep sinning. Y'all hear that? In Christ, those who are in Christ, okay, we are not, we are not defined by sin, even if we keep sinning anymore, because the blood of Jesus has covered both past, present, and future. God, when you ask God to forgive you of your sins, he did you such a favor, and he was so good to you, you don't even begin to realize it yet, because you were just thinking about the past. You weren't even processing the future, but he was. He was, he saw the, you just asked God, forgive me of my sins that I did. He's like, you know what? I got you. And the ones I got covered, even the ones you don't even know about, you're going to do yet. All of them. We are no longer defined by sin and we are not left defenseless against the flesh. That is why the Holy Spirit is in us. Yeah. He said, I got no ability to do this. But then in chapter eight, he burst forth, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now the theme of chapter eight because he says, ah, there is something inside. There's a greater presence in me, a greater power in me. And that is the Holy Spirit of God that I am not left defenseless against these desires or feelings or wants or impulses from this world. I am not left defenseless. And not only that, man, there is nothing. This is why I said a minute ago that nothing Nothing can, the sin can't define you anymore because look what he says in 31 and 37 and 38. Eight, chapter 8, 31, he says in the same spirit, same context, what then are we to say about all of these things, about our struggles, about our wanting to still do the opposite and, and, and still wanting to serve God and what he's done for us? What are we going to say? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us then? If God is for us, who can be against us? And in 37, he goes and he says, no, all of these things, 
all of these things. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. We are not a victim of the flesh and sin. We are victors in Christ Jesus. We're not a victim to this anymore. He says, on all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him, not in your ability, through Christ who loved us. For I am persuaded, I am convinced, you can't tell me any different, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything, nor any created thing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see how convinced he is. This is why I said, if you are in Christ, this is how you know you're saved, by the way. You know how you know you're saved? One telling way you know you're saved. When there's a part of you that truly loves God and you, and you want to be obedient, you want to do what is right, you want to follow him, you want to go all out for him, but there's still a side of you that wants to do the complete opposite and you hate it when you don't do what you want to do. Do you know that's a sign that you're saved? Because, you know, non-believers don't, aren't, oh my gosh, Jesus, I'm so sorry, I, 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 I did this, I shouldn't have done it. No, they could care less about the guy. They could care less. But when there is a struggle inside of you, if a war began, that means you're born again. But you're not left defenseless in that fight. Because notice he says, there's nothing that can ever separate you from the love of God. Once you're born, you can't be unborn. Try that. Physically. If you're born, you can't be unborn. Do it again. If you're born again, you can't be unborn again. All right? That's what it is. And so even, and this is the thing I want to encourage you guys, when you catch yourself as Christians, even if you sin, even if you sin, you are not defined by that. But be careful. Because some of you, that's also a sign that maybe you're not saved. When <laughs> you just, you do what you want. You know, you, you keep doing it, keep doing it, and you show no guilt, no regret. Yeah. No, that's different. If you're a believer in Christ and you find yourself stuck doing the thing you don't want to do, don't want to do, and you hate every minute of it, you've been taken prisoner by the enemy, but you are still a son and daughter of God. And Christ can set you free from whatever that chain. If he broke you from the chain of hell, yeah, he can snap those twigs in two seconds. You got to let him invite. You got to ask him. You got to repent of it. Turn to him and he will. The struggle against sin, I'm here to, this is, Good news and bad news, but I want you to know it's normal. The struggle against sin is real. It is real, but so is the almighty power of God. And, and I think we, we too many times, we, don't, we forget about the second. We forget about the second because we're so consumed with the, with the other. And so, guys, what we need to do is we need to remember that our identity is not in our faith performance. If you're in Christ, your identity is not rooted in your faith performance. It is rooted in your faith position in the performance of Jesus and what he did for you. That is who we are. So then what do we do? What do we do then with this? Well, you got to do what Paul showed us. Look at the process that he did. Listen, the one thing that you don't do, you don't go with the flow of the flesh. Don't do that. All right? You don't go with the flow of the flesh. If there's a party that wants to serve God and a party that wants to do the complete opposite, all right? Don't just go like, 
Well, you know what? It's the weekend. <laughs> you, know, just, you, you, you don't go with the flow. You don't go with that flow. That's not what we are called to do. You don't go with the flow of the flesh. In fact, this is going to be the highlight on Wednesdays. Every middle, the mid-Wednesday of every month, we're going to do a Bible study, and that's what we're going to talk about. Because Paul says, don't gratify the things of the flesh. Gratify the things of the Spirit. Because if you're in the flesh, you're not going to be in the Spirit. You're going to be enslaved. That's going to be our theme for this Wednesday as we do a Bible study. But you don't go with the flow of the flesh. Instead, what do you do? First, you got to learn to mourn before you can move. That's what Paul was doing. Notice, he mourned his sin. And you probably look at somebody like Paul. Listen, some of y'all try this with me too, all right? You guys try it with me too. And say, bro, I'm not, I'm not you. I'm not you, man. I can't do that. I'm not you. I'm like, nigga, you don't even know me, bro. You do not know me. You literally don't know me, bro. You have this image and this perception of me, but here's the thing. You might look, somebody might look at somebody like me and be like, bro, he don't miss. He's perfect. All right, yeah, whatever talk to my wife. Anyways, and so you'll see. It's like, you don't know me. The more, here's the crazy thing, guys. You know what's a sign that you're maturing in Christ? When you still can't get over, you begin to realize that you were a bigger sinner than you ever thought you were. I'm 38, be 39 in a couple months. Bro, and I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm still pretty selfish. <laughs> well, I think I would have figured this out by now. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm still prideful. Okay. All right, there's a, there's, a, there's a ratchet part of me still that's like, yeah, I can't believe that's, that's me. That's me. Guys, the more you grow closer to Christ, you're going to become sensitive to the voice of God, sensitive to the love of God. You're going to become sensitive to God's presence. And you know what that also is going to mean? You're going to become sensitive to any remaining sin that still lingers inside of you. Anything. And that's Okay. You got to do what Paul said. It's like, yo, he mourned the fact that I can't believe this is still me, though. Even if you are point zero 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 one percent sinful, Paul would hate the fact that that point zero 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 one is there because he knows, he sees, not even the actions, even the desire to do what is wicked, he knows what that is. That's the spear that went in Jesus' side. That desire to do what is wrong is the whip that took out his back. The desire for me to do this one thing, experience this one thing, that's a thorn inside of his crown that he wore. That's a nail that went in his hands and feet. The leftover sin inside of me, yeah, those are the splinters that went in his back while he hung on that cross. This is why Paul mourns the fact that he is still has this flesh he has to deal with. Because it is the very reason that Christ died. But see, he didn't stay in chapter 7, verse 24. What a wretched person I am. He didn't stay there. This is what I want to tell you guys. You got to mourn that. You got to ask God, change my desires. I want to learn to hate this more. I want to first off, it was like, God, I just want to stop. That's good. And then I want to hate the fact that I still want to do it, even if I stop. That's, that's progress. All right? That's progress. But you got to be able to mourn your sin so that you can move towards your Savior. That's what he did. Notice, what a wretched person I am. 24, verse 25. But thanks be to God, our Lord Jesus Christ, what he did for... See, he didn't stay in 24. He moved to 25 and who he is. And guys, that's part of us. In order to move towards your Savior, guys, you got to remove some roadblocks. Find the moments when you are cuddling up in the closet with your flesh, that dead, rotting corpse. You got to remove those roadblocks. You got to shut that door. For some of you, it's removing toxic habits in your life. For some of you, it's removing toxic environments, going to places that when you go there, 
you want to do what you don't want to do anymore because you're surrounded in an environment where this is celebrated. You got to stop going to toxic environments. You got to stop changing. You got to change toxic habits. You might have to change toxic people and toxic relationships in your life. If you're surrounded by things that are like, man, how come I keep on doing the things I don't want to do? Surround yourself. What's going on all around you? You're cuddling up in the closet with the flesh. No wonder you're sick. Because you're, you're cuddled up in a dead, with a dead corpse. You got to be able to remove those blocks and remove those roadblocks and put yourself in environments, in situations, creating habits where the spirit now can continue to do the work in you. So as Christians, as we call this like accountability partners, as Christians, this is what we're called to do. When you see a believer stuck in Romans 7:24, ah, what a wretched person I am. You need to be chapter 7, verse 25. But praise God, man, that he still loves you. And praise God, no, get your focus off of you. Don't leave it there. Put it on him. The fact that you are not defined by that or left defenseless by that. You're feeling me? That's what we got to be as a church. Because there's going to be times I'm stuck in verse 24. And I need some of you and I need my wife. She does that and reminds me of verse 25. We can't be stuck in there. We got to, yeah, mourn your sin, but move towards your Savior. And we can do that in our own strength. Because the pull, the gravitational pull of sin and death, guys, it's big. Guys, it's like gravity. Talking about the law of something, the law of gravity. Can any of you jump high enough and break from the pull of gravity and make it to the moon on the jump? We can't do that. Even the person with the highest vertical in the world, and you can go to the highest point on earth and jump from there, and can you break the pull of gravity in your own strength by jumping? You're not enough. But what happens if you're in a rocket? If you're in a rocket, you're just sitting, chilling. But the rocket, when the rocket takes off, the rocket is able to push past and break the force and, and not be subjected to gravity. Why? Because the power of the rocket going in one direction is greater than the power pulling it down. Now, if you've ever flown, and we haven't been on rockets, but you've flown on airplanes, right? Anybody flown on an airplane before? When you are in an airplane, does gravity stop working? Does it? If you're in an airplane, did the plane cancel out gravity? That's why the plane flies. No. See, a plane or a rocket, it doesn't cancel out gravity. It transcends it. It overcomes it because it is more powerful than the pull. What did Paul say? If God is for us, what could be against us? Guys, we are meant to soar with our Savior. And if you find yourself falling flat on your face, it's because you're jumping. You got to put yourself in Christ. And the temptation will still be there. The temptation will still be there. But in Christ, you can supersede temptation. You can supersede the environment. You can supersede. It won't cancel it out. But he will give you the ability to. And if you fall flat on your face, there's no condemnation in Christ. Dust yourself off. Get back up again and keep soaring in Christ. That is what we're called to do. That is the habit until Christ finally sets things free. And so, guys, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to be real with you because I love you all. It's impossible to be sinless, even if you're a Christian. I say this because there are Christians who teach that. You can get to a point in your relation with God that you will never sin again. I've heard people say it. I don't remember the last time I sinned. Pride. There it is. <laughs> All right. Bing. Two seconds ago, dude. Just did it. Yeah, just did it. There's people who believe that. But I'm here to tell you, it's impossible to be sinless. But it is possible to sin less. It is. It is. And it happens the more you die to yourself 
and carry the cross and cling on to the one who died for you. It happens. He will do it until the day he returns. And then we don't got to deal with that dead body anymore. And then we're really, really free. So I want to challenge you, regardless of what is wrong with you, and I'm here to tell you, yeah, there's something wrong with you. Something's still wrong with me, even as a pastor for how many years? Regardless of what is wrong with you, if you're in Christ, you have reason to still praise God for all that he has done right for you. And that deserves, that deserves not just praise, that deserves a humble heart that's going to transform your desires and invite you to follow and lead him even more. So I want to challenge you to do just that right now. I want to challenge you guys. Let's all bow our heads and pray. I want to pray over you, with you, and I'm going to lead you in a reflection right now as we're walking away. What do we do with all of this? God, I want to thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace. God, for the reality of what we just described, for all of these things. God, that there is no condemnation in Christ. Though as believers, even if we struggle in our sin and some of us are, are just still immature, some of us haven't de developed those disciplines and we're, we're still immature in our walk. But yet, God, even though when you forgave us of our sins, you even forgave the ones that we are trying to deal with as we're trying to learn how to walk and how to run, or even if it's how to crawl at least. God, I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you so much for being this overwhelming, for that amazing grace that, that, that we've singing about today. This is why you are famous, God. We thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. But I pray right now that you help us to become sensitive, not only to your goodness, but help us, Lord, to be sensitive to ourselves. God, can you reveal right now, open up our eyes, not just to you, open up our eyes to ourselves. So, I want to challenge you right now. I want you to ask yourself, if you find, what is it the thing that you hate about you? You hate the fact that you do this. You hate the fact that you, there's a person that you, you don't want to forgive and you refuse to do it. There's, a there's habits that you know you shouldn't be doing and you, you feel guilty every time, but you still find yourself returning to the vomit and eating like a dog. There's things that you do constantly back and forth and you hate it. I want you to ask yourself, I want you to mourn that right now. Mourn the fact that you still want to do, even if you don't do it anymore. I need you to say, God, look at that because that is the very reason why Christ had to die on the cross for that too, for that. I want you to mourn that and say, God, I want to learn to hate this more. I want to hate this more. God, I pray that you may open up our eyes to anything that is keeping us from you. Help us to keep everything. Help us to open up our eyes that, that's keeping everything or us from you, whatever habits or people or this or that. And God, help us. If you made every sacrifice possible, if you made the sacrifice so that we can be saved and so that we can find life, God, help us to sacrifice this whatever habits, hobbies, environments, people, relationships, this is nothing compared to what you sacrifice. But God, may we lay it down, put it at the foot of the cross. And God, may your overwhelming love now flow over us like, like lava. I pray right now, if you have been coming and struggling and you hate the fact that you're struggling, you feel like a worthless excuse for a believer because you still struggle, God loves you still. Let his love overflow. Let his love know that I have forgiven that already. I have already forgiven that. Receive that forgiveness. Receive my love. For 
you are not defined by that, but by me. God is saying, that's what you are defined by me because I have claimed you. Sin and death can no longer claim you. And so I pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you may snap whatever chains. If you're a believer in Christ and you find yourself enslaved to a sin, call on God right now and let him snap those like twigs. Let Call on his name right now. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus, if there is something inside right now, for those of you, if you're listening live or later or here, there's some of you that you think you've been a Christian for the longest and you still haven't been because you're playing these religious games and you thought that's enough. It's not. If there's something in you that is leading you to say, oh no, go to God. It doesn't matter. Go to God. I don't care how ratchet or religious you've been. You can't save yourself. Just call on the name of Jesus and ask, God, I believe in you. Lord, forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make a decision today. Make a decision today. I'm not going to go with the flow. I'm going to fight the flow of the flesh, not in my own strength, but by the power of the living God. And so, Lord, I pray that you may lift up, lift up those in the name of Jesus right now. And God, may you take us from wretched, from that state of 24, to praise your name for who you are, for you have removed our chains and sin. So, if you've ever wondered why do you still struggle with sin, even after you're saved? Well, it's because you're starting to realize that you are and have been a bigger sinner than you ever realized all right when you ask jesus to forgive you of your sins if you did in the past okay you did not even understand the full capacity of what kind of sins who you were and what god can do yet he did even though you did not understand all right and i want to i want you to know god is not just god is not just concerned with getting you out of hell and keeping you from hell. He is trying to get the hell out of you, literally. All the leftover remnants of sin. And part of this, this is called, guys, sanctification. This process of perfecting that we won't reach until Jesus returns, okay? But it is a process. And through it all, we actually get to understand and encounter God like never before. The more we realize, oh my gosh, we need him, the more you rely on him, the more you get to know him, the closer you draw near to him. So you may complain about the struggle, all right, but God is doing something. God is doing something throughout this struggle. And I want you to know that he has a smile on your face even when you struggle. If you have called on the name of Jesus, you are his son and daughter, all right? And nothing you can do, I have three boys, nothing that they could do will ever stop making them my sons. All right. And when you are born again, there's nothing that that can happen that can change that. Now, a true son and daughter is going to continue to grow, to be more like Christ. So I want to challenge you to revolve even your struggles, revolve everything around Christ and let him mold you and shape you to be more like him so you can continue to fall in love with him.